First, the prophet Jeremiah warning Israel that the judgment of the Lord is like fire and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. Then Jesus, too, talking about coming to bring fire to the earth and wishing it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, he says, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Seeming so pushed to his limit of patience with the world that he can hardly wait to get to Jerusalem, where he knows he will be killed. Or at least that's the way the story reads on its face, the way it can feel to us when we're vulnerable and desperate and looking, as the disciples surely were, for a place of safety and sureness where we're comforted by the one who loves us. This other, this uncompromising, even angry Jesus feels more, well, Old Testament rather than new. Yet it's unnerving the way both passages seem to reflect what's been going on in the world around us for the past week. Just when some had dared to hope that the worst was over in the financial situation, we looked around in shock to find that once again, our desire for security had gotten the better of our grip on reality. Just as in the economically and politically unsettled times that Jeremiah describes, there are plenty of false prophets today claiming to speak in the name of God or the stock market, visionaries and would-be visionaries claiming, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. Who then should we believe? Who can we trust? We've gone over it and over it until our heads ache financial experts and ordinary people alike, and we still can't figure it out, and maybe never will. What happened exactly when the ground began to move under our feet two years ago, and who's to blame? So as the future appears to darken, perhaps for the whole world, we come here to church to hear the good news of the gospel, and here's Jesus lashing out at us and saying that we don't get it at all. That if we thought he'd come to bring peace to the earth, we were dead wrong. That he's come to bring not peace, but division. And right down to the places where we feel it most. How can that be good news? And yet, it is. And if we travel with him and the disciples, we begin, perhaps, to understand. For as Jesus journeys towards Jerusalem, he becomes a source of conflict and opposition, doing and saying all the things he does, laying claim to startling kinds of authority and power, his words marked with a growing apocalyptic urgency and intensity. The road to Jerusalem, after all, leads to a violent confrontation and to the cross. No wonder his experience of life comes to be one of consuming fire. Yet, just as the ground blackened by a roaring forest fire releases the life of millions of seeds that needed that searing heat to bring them to germination, so it may be that we, are released by a kind of necessary, inevitable suffering, not willed by God, but used by God to bring us into the new life 
that could not have existed without it. I read recently about a woman called Lisa Fithian, I knew nothing about her, who's a grassroots peace activist here in this country. She's been arrested 30 times for intentionally creating crises, situations that force the powers that be, the media, consumers, corporations, the military, to critically examine and then change their policies. She says, when people ask me, what do you do? I say, I create crisis, because crisis is the edge where change is possible. Reading her words, I asked myself, could that be what Jesus meant when he talked about bringing fire to the earth? We may nurture and develop our inner lives, our spiritual selves, as much as we like, which, as many of you know, I believe is deeply necessary. But there are times, too, many times in my experience, when the only thing that will work is some kind of external force or crisis to break into us, to stir us up to the depths of our being, to turn us upside down and right side up again, and put us back together differently. Like one of those Picasso portraits with two noses on one side of the face. Something, some force to open us to the right path so that we can't mistake it for anything else at those times when we know what we ought to do but simply lack the moral courage or will to do it. You'll understand that this is an issue for me when I read you the first few lines of my favorite poem, written in the 17th century by one among that cloud of witnesses we heard about earlier, who surround us and beckon to us and walk ahead of us to light the way. This is the great passionate prayer of John Donne. Batter my heart, three-personed God, for you as yet but knock, breathe, shine, and seek to mend, that I may rise and stand or throw me and bend your force to break, blow, burn, and make me new. Like you, perhaps, I've had reason in my personal life to be aware of this necessity for a purifying force to change me something stronger than my own human will and intelligence. With some help from friends and a lot of prayer, I have begun the process of being broken down, even hammered, past all my usual defenses, which a lifetime of construction and upkeep have made very strong, to a place where it's hard to describe it, where I feel that my hearing has been restored and my sight renewed. Like the disciples, I am not only able to read the signs of a change in the weather, but am better able to interpret the present moment, the kairos moment, the moment of opportunity which will never come again in the way I think Jesus meant. I wish it had been possible to get to this new place by an easier route, but apparently it wasn't. 
our cherished dreams and illusions, like those of the false prophets in Jeremiah's time and ours, can be very powerful, very hard to break. Sometimes we need to be awakened from them, not with soft music or a snooze bar, but with an ear-piercing alarm that brings us to our feet with our hearts pounding. Sometimes pain is the only thing that will do it. Sometimes that's how deeply we have been asleep. Might it be possible for us to arrive at the new places in our lives in a more gradual, organic way, with less damage to ourselves and others? I used to think so. I thought I'd done it. But now I don't know. I doubt it. The history of humanity is not exactly a study of easy learners. Cynthia Bourgeau, one of our more perceptive spiritual writers that some of you may know, calls this necessary pain constriction, bumping up against the hard edges of life, and believes that it's not punishment, but a sacrament, something that reveals a mystery in a particularly intense way, while at the same time offering a way for that mystery to be made actual. And having come to that, she goes on to wonder, did Jesus have to experience the human life he did, filled with betrayal and abandonment and homelessness and death? Couldn't he have gotten through his message in an easier way, through an easier career path, say, chief priest or political leader or the Messiah people expected him to be? From any of these launching pads, she reckons, he would have been well positioned to put his teachings out there and impact the consciousness of his times. But none of these opportunities materialized. Why not? Cynthia Bourgeau asks. Because the path he did walk is precisely the one that would most fully unleash the transformative power of his teaching. In other words, because it was the best and only way to model the one thing necessary here, according to his teaching, which is to die to self, to grow beyond the survival instincts of the animal brain and the operating system of the ego into the self-emptying joy and generosity we see Jesus modeling in most of the gospel stories. This breaking and entering doesn't have to go on all the time. And if that's the case, if sometimes the good news can only come after the bad news has broken through, then no matter how alluring the dream, the dream may have seemed while we were lost in it, the dream of uninterrupted prosperity, of frictionless family relationships, watching the future roll out in front of us at the top of the curve as if no bottoms existed, it's still better to be awake, still better to live in Kairos time, one foot here and one in eternity. And who knows? In the end, it may very well be that the new landscape in which we find ourselves, that burnt over ground, coming to life again at the other end 
of our, the other end of our difficult journey may turn out to be a place we recognize, the place where in innocence we first began. So the God who spoke through Jeremiah mends the rock that he has broken into pieces and makes it stronger. So God in Christ brings us home. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at oursaviourmv.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R M-V for Mill Valley dot O-R-G. We wish you God's peace and we hope to greet you in person very soon.